Good afternoon to everyone, and welcome to Enfleshed Bible Studies by Watch and Walk Ministry. Um, this program seeks to encourage all of us to embody the teachings of Scripture. My name is Ebenezer Edujemfi, and I'm here with my regular panel members. I have uh, Jenny Chilton, uh, Children's Minister at Calvary Baptist. Uh, she's also a, a Truett graduate. I have Cecily McWayne. Um, Girls Youth Ministry Associate at Columbus Avenue Baptist Church, and also a student at Truett uh, Seminary here. And Erica Muzu, a doctoral student in church music at Baylor University. And then I also have Jackson, my brother Jackson um, Adama is a doctoral student, a doctoral candidate in theology and ethics at, at Duke um, University uh, at North Carolina. Uh, welcome, all of you, and thanks a lot for joining us. Um, actually, we started and fleshed with John chapter 1, where we learned that the Word of God is a person, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, full of grace and truth. And for about five weeks now, we've been looking at Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we learned last week, I mean, we learned a lot of things, but last week we learned what it means when Jesus said that he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophet, but he came to fulfill. And we also learned that um, the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees is the one that proceeds from a relationship with this um, man, Jesus Christ, uh, with the Lord um, of all the earth. And today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, as I said, verse 21 to 26. But before I pray and I let um, Cecily read, before she uh, Cecily reads our scripture for today, I'd like to just um, echo a quotation that I read last week. It kind of gives us a framework or helps, helps us to get some sort of um, framework to work with today uh, from our doctor, Dr. David Garland. He's a professor of Christian scriptures. I think it really captures what we're going to talk about today very well. So I, I quote, Moses prophesied that God will speak anew through a prophet like himself. And Matthew presents Jesus as a promised prophet who fulfills the long-awaited promise of scriptures. But fulfillment also implies transcendence. When Jesus appears as God with us, the center of gravity shifts to him. The law and the prophets remain valid, but Jesus is the canon by which to gauge obedience to scripture and is its sole interpretive guide. The so-called antithesis that follow in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 48, make it clear that Jesus is the key for unlocking meaning of the law and prophets, unquote. So um, that is a, a quotation from Dr. David Garland. And uh, I believe today we're going to look at 21 and we're going to see what it means when we say Jesus is the key for unlocking the meaning of this particular passage. Let me pray with us and then Cecily, you take the reading for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We give you the glory for this opportunity to study your word. My prayer is that you would um, help us open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word and help us apply all that we learn into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So Cecily, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. Awesome, yes, it says this in the King James Version. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in, in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Thank you uh, for the reading, Cecily. I'm grateful. Well, I'm starting with you, our reader, today. Um, Cecily, um, let's look at verse 21 and 22 and help us understand what is happening there. Uh, what is the relationship between anger and murder, what is Jesus trying to say to us? 
Yeah, I think this is a, a really interesting shift we're going to find in Jesus' sermon, that really from this point on, these are very practical things Jesus is talking about. We all are angry at times. We have all experienced that. And so uh, Jesus is showing us what is the good life? What does it mean? How do we live when we're angry? And and so this kind of moving everything forward, Jesus is interpreting the law of the Old Testament and he's taking it a step further, like we talked about last week, that to do violence in your heart is a very real thing. And it's just as dangerous and vile as maybe a real act of, of murder. And so what starts in our heart, there our actions go. And so um, this kind of making this this parallel that that guard your guard your heart because there where where those beginnings are um great violence can be done there well great violence can be done in your heart so you have to guard your heart your diligence jack any comment um thanks so much for uh this opportunity once again um i want to begin with um, Jesus's statement where he said, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, but I say to you, I think Dr. Garland highlighted that formula in, in his uh, take. Um, and I think that this statement begins a sequence in the Sermon on the Mount, whereby Jesus introduces his, instru- in, whereby he introduces his instructions with it was said, but I say, I say to you, but the thing is that what, what does this formula mean, uh, this introductory formula mean? To my mind, the introductory formula witnesses to Jesus' unique and, authority, and authoritative appreciation of the nature and purpose of scriptures. Yeah. Uh, so in the first place, his quotation from the Old Testament validates his perception of the Old Testament as scripture. And I, I think there's a fact that Richard last week highlighted um, in, in his submission. Secondly, Jesus implies that scripture is authoritative insofar as scripture leads us to the feet of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate teacher and interpreter of scripture. In other words, every grain of scripture must be surrendered to uh, what we know about the person and work of Christ. And third, and because of the second point, we must have an incarnational and relational interpretation of scripture rather than a purely literal and private interpretation of of scripture. Uh, For example, Jesus was alluding to the incarnational and relational interpretation of scripture when he said to the religious leaders of his day, you said the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is scriptures that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So had the religious leaders interpreted scriptures through the life and ministry of Christ with the goal of loving God and neighbor, they would have come to Christ for the abundant life Christ gives. Considering the incarnational and relational interpretation of scripture Jesus is here advancing, we need to be mindful not to literally reduce or more accurately elevate anger to murder. Again, from the life and ministry of Christ, we know such a literal reading is not warranted Mm. because in the Gospels, we see Jesus angry and turning over the table of the money changes. The question is, did Jesus commit murder or sin when he turned over the tables of the money changes? Obviously not. Um, Jesus is here underlying the fact that anger, which does not serve the cause of God's justice, will lead to the destruction of human and creaturely life. Mm. God's justice is restorative and conciliative and not just retributive. And I think that as we go on, I'll expand more on this. Um, Wow. All right. Thanks a lot, Um, Jack. Well, um, Jenny, do you have anything? And then also I want to link it up with the other part where it talks about um, the issue of insults. Uh, help, Help me understand. I mean, how dangerous or how sinful do you think Jesus really considers uh, insults uh, based on what we are, we are reading today? <laughs> yeah, Jenny. Yeah, um, I would just say thank you, Cecily and Jackson, for your thoughts. Um, those are really 
really um, enlightening in terms of thinking about these scriptures. And I think I would say, um, first of all, that reading this passage, I think it's, we um, can easily think in the mindset of the Pharisees of like, okay, murder, I'm good. I don't do that. Check, you know, but Jesus is once again, just as he was last week in the passages we read about fulfilling the law, um, he's amping up the requirements of the law, right? Putting, like I talked about last week, putting flesh on the, the, the bones, the skeleton of what the law says. So it's not just about not committing murder because hopefully and thankfully most of us never will, but we all, like Cecily said, can understand this feeling of anger. That is something we've all um, dealt with and walked through. And so here Jesus is, you know, pointing out to the crowd and saying to, to the people listening, like, this is for you. This is not for that person over there that you're judging as being much worse than you. And I think that's also at the heart of what Jesus is saying about the insults here, about saying to your brother, you know, Raka or you fool. Mm. Um, the danger with that is not just in the words, because as we know, words can be said with different meanings behind them and with different intonations. Um, but it's really, I think, in the heart, the mm. heart of what that person is saying. And that is um, the same with anger. It's not about so much what you say as what's in your heart, which is the bitterness and the resentment that stems from pride. Um, mm. And then that brings me to um, just a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus says, you know, it's not about, if, uh, let me, let me just read it. In chapter seven, um, one through five, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Um, and so I think about times where, you know, I've had bitterness in my heart towards a fellow believer and maybe wanted to point out something that they were doing wrong or been thinking in my, in my heart and in my head, you know, you fool, like you're so foolish. Why would you do that? Um, but then if I am contemplative for a moment and allow the Holy spirit to convict me of my own heart and my own life, I realize that's only a speck in their eye. Well, I actually have a plank in my own because there are all these other things in my heart that I need to deal with. Mm. Um, and so I think reading those passages, reading this passage in Matthew five, I think that's um, kind of at the heart of what Jesus is saying here is that it's not just about the word. It's about your heart. Mm. It's about your heart. Thanks a lot, Jenny. Eric. I think that, um, the panel has really, you know, completely said a lot about, you know, what we're talking uh, about here. Besides what, uh, there were some few things I'll also, you know, want to add, but I would say, you know, explicitly that, you know, the panel has really done good justice to whatever we are discussing. So for me, um, it is not the anger itself that is sinful, um, but what leads us to that anger. So when we become headstrong in our anger and when we become violent and very vehement and even outrageous and, mischievous when anger causes us to seek the hurt of those we are displeased at you know jesus says that it is a breach of the sixth commandment mm -hmm. why because if we become angry um, there are certain things you realize we would kill or even destroy if we could mm -hmm. um, let's consider the story of cain for instance his action towards abel mm -hmm. began in an anger which is stirred up from the heart right so and we all know how that story ended um he was called a murderer in the account of god so this also suggests that our heart posture is more important to god than our outward reactions mm. and we know that our outward reactions are a product of the conceit of the heart so mm. it is important that um we consider the what is happening in our hearts 
you know, when we are dealing with this issue concerning anger. And it's also important that we must also not insult our brothers, like the Bible talks about, or even, you know, badmouth them one way or the other, because just cause this some kind of tongue murder, I see it, or better still, maybe mouth slaughter. Mm. So the thing is, uh, you degrade or demean mm. the God image of your brother by calling him a fool. However, another thing to realize is that it's not a sin when you, your anger is for a just cause. That is to convince others of the vanity and folly they are committing. So, for example, James began the statement on faith without works with what? He said, you foolish people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we also have Paul who called the Galatians fools for not accepting to obey the truth. Yeah. Even Jesus himself called the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you blind fools. Mm. The thing is that some people would want to you know, refer to some of these things, but you realize that these examples all have one thing in common. Mm. They were meant to reprove or correct. Mm. But when this proceeds from anger, it results in a sin. And Jesus is saying that it is a breach you know, of the sixth commandment. So instead of risking hellfire or facing the danger of judgment, it is better for us to preserve Christ's love and peace among the brethren by doing a few things. One, it is always important for us to labor towards reconciliation. Mm. I also think that it is important for us to continue to confess our faults regularly. Mm. It's important to humble ourselves enough to make restitution. That's also something very, very important because I feel like Christians become so haughty and proud and we don't want to be humble enough to be able to ask for forgiveness, but it's something we need to continue to work towards. Yeah. And most significantly, we need to, just like the panel said, we need to continue to guard our hearts with all diligence, like the Bible says, yeah. so as to put out any fire of anger before it manifests openly. Okay. Thanks a lot. Um, these are great uh, comments on this passage. I'm grateful uh, to you all. Um, before I, I mean, share something uh, personal, I mean, I picked some thoughts from, I think, uh, Dr. Gallant's um, commentary on this. I, I told you last week that he really wanted to be part. Uh, so he sent some uh, in some I, uh, comment on this issue. Uh, he said something about the fact that Jesus wanted to deal with the root of murder. You know, he wanted to prevent murder. So uh, dealing with anger actually helps one to not to really go to that way of murder. You know, and then. And he says that um, when it comes to name calling or insults, uh, he says that a primary concern about name calling is not just that it is inappropriate and an inappropriate way to vent one's anger, but it triggers anger in others. You know, so Jesus commands us not only to check our own anger, but also not to provoke it, uh, not to provoke it in others. So um, I, I found that really instructive. The fact that when you you call you call somebody. Raka and all these, you can imagine uh, the fury, the, the, the kind of uh, provocation that will endanger and gender, and that is very um, unpleasant for a Christian uh, to engage in it. I, on, on a personal note, what I, I realized uh, growing up, anytime I got really angry, I mean, I hated somebody, I got really angry. I, 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 I remember one, one thing about my imagination. The moment I get really angry, I mean, things begin to pop up in my head. It's like, I wish the person, something happens to the person. All that I wish would just come into my mind. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that imagination, we look at it realistically. The moment you get angry at someone and you, you, are, you are filled with anger or you want to do something bad, what happens is that they, they begin to happen in your mind before uh, <laughs> they become a, I mean, a reality. So that is one thing that I, I realized, okay, so that's, I, I believe that's why the, Jesus was addressing that. When you are angry, you have to be careful. Um, yeah, but of course, we'll be look, looking at what it means, I mean, to all of us. It uh, doesn't mean we shouldn't be angry. And, um, and if, it, if we can be angry, as you have all hinted, what should we do when we are angry? Uh, that is one question I'm sure is on the mind of everyone even listening to us. Cecily. Yeah, I mean, the, the, like I said, the panel has really set the stage for showing us that, yes, we've seen Jesus be angry. And if Jesus is the revelation of God, right, we know God through Jesus, then there's something about, yes, it's good to be angry at the injustice of the world, especially 
when um, the holiness and and the the image bearing aspect of, of our humanity it's not honored when we don't honor that in each other that's something god is angry about and so it's right for us to feel angry about that but then the question that really you're asking ebenezer is how do we obey really this ephesians 4 26 thing of in your anger do not sin so how can i be angry mm-hmm. but not commit a sin and i um i i just can't help but to think about mr rogers neighborhood do you remember that song he would sing what do you do with the mad that you feel? You know, and so Mr. Rogers is really dedicated to teaching children how to think about anger and, and what do I do when I'm mad? And um, from that and then from many other, Brene Brown on her podcast that's been really popular recently, she had someone come on and talk about how do I give a good apology? And the just amazing restorative work of being able to actually give a very good apology. Because many times we do, we out of our, in our moments of anger, even if we're angry about a good thing, a lot of the time we're reacting to it as not a good reaction yeah. because out of that passionate, fiery <laughs> anger, I'm really just, I'm mad at you. I hate you a little bit. And so how do I step back? And, and part of my own process of thinking, what do I do with the mad that I feel is to first ask what percentage of the situation, the thing I'm mad about, what percentage of that is a me problem? Like what percentage of that is I'm just really personal, like something in my background makes me incredibly sensitive to this kind of thing. And I'm feeling personally wounded. And then what percentage is an actual problem that like you did something wrong to me or you did something, something is wrong happening in the world. And I do need to address that. But just me thinking about, you know, some of the, uh, maybe a, often the majority of the percentage in the things I'm angry about is really my own personal problem. And I need to take that to the Lord. I need to receive healing and restoration from the Lord in my life personally about that. And then we can go talk about, hey, but it, it, you know, I really do think you owe me an apology. That thing wasn't right. But if I can handle, bring things to the Lord and heal my own anger um, and my own hurt there first, I find it's much easier to go to my, my neighbor and treat them like a neighbor, not burn all my bridges. So that, and, and Eric has mentioned that really the, we're angry, but always with the hope of reconciliation. The moment we just burn all of our bridges and we detach, we speak out of anger. The whole point is that something wrong has happened and we want to make it right. Again, we go back to the Beatitudes. I want to be a peacemaker. And so if I burn all my bridges, how are we ever going to make things right? If in all my words and my anger, I offend. Well, who, how do I go to the person I just offended and say, so now you should really agree with me about this thing. Well, absolutely. I'm not going to agree with them. I'm so mad. I'm so hurt that they <laughs> spoke to me out of their anger. So the best, the best way to be angry is to, to think about, okay, how is this, whatever I say or do, is this going to work toward reconciliation? And if not, maybe I need to step back, handle this with the Lord in my own heart, and then go, <laughs> then go to the person, you know, seek that restoration and start, start working for that. Great one there. Very practical. Thanks a lot uh, for that, Cecily. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cecily, th- thanks for the submission. I think um, you you've really touched on all the, the important areas, and um, I'll start by saying that yes, it is it is okay to be angry. Like, um, and anger must be directed at our own sin and the injustice in our world today. And besides, like, if you don't get angry. Uh, many times, like if you are in a relationship with someone, uh, there's a question mark whether you even care at all. Like you, you get angry because you, you care. Um, and anger is a very complex emotion. Um, it's something that even the early church, uh, they, they struggled with this commandment. Like, does the Lord mean we shouldn't get angry? Some even made the case that you should only get angry when it's regarded to your own sin but it should never be directed towards someone so it's a very complex thing they kept going back and forth but personally like my view on this on this passage has been so much shaped by uh, a scholar known as de young she, she wrote a, a book uh, known as glittering vices i recommend it for our uh, audience um, if anyone can get a hand on it but one thing about anger which makes it very complex is that it combines open hostility towards uh, the cause of injustice. 
with a passionate devotion to re-establishing justice. I, I think um, Cecily uh, mentioned that, in other words, the fittingness of anger's expression is measured by whether it effectively feathers the goal of justice or whether it nearly destroys everything in its path, including the good it was originally fighting for, or even the angry person herself. And at this point, I would probably distinguish anger from wrath, which is a vice. Um, our anger and passion for justice can easily be perverted into the desire for revenge and for the injury of someone. Uh, when we exercise wrath instead of righteous anger, we turn the passion of God's justice into a passion for self-fulfillment or self-aggrandizement. Um, how do we know whether we are exercising righteous anger or wrath? Uh, to do so, we must ask ourselves uh, the following questions. Do we typically get as angry about an injustice done to others as we do about, our, as we do about a personal insult to ourselves? Uh, where does our own honor and status rank among the good things our anger rises to defend and avenge? Um, does our image of a just universe mean that things have to go our way and we will personally take it upon ourselves to set them right if they don't? Um, and so let me give a couple of thoughts about what we shouldn't do when we get angry. First, we shouldn't aim our anger at the wrong target. Um, Sometimes we direct our anger towards our immediate loved ones when we are disappointed that God hasn't answered our prayers in the way we want. Um, other times, our anger at others is an expression of our unwillingness to take responsibility for our role in the conflict. Um, so we must broaden our appreciation of, this, of the situation, both to include <clears throat> the rightful claims of others and to put our own claims into perspective. Um, and secondly, the way anger can go wrong is in how we express our anger. So it's not just a target, but how we also express our anger. In this case, we need to pay attention to whether we are quick-tempered, whether our anger is not proportional to the offense, and whether our anger stays too long. Um, and so let me give a, a couple of affirmative strategies to keep our anger under control. First, we must allow a reflective distance from the moment an offense or unjust situation is created. Um, this time will allow us time to cool off and see the bigger picture. So it's not always that you have to respond uh, to an injustice or to an offense right there and then. You, sometimes you just need to allow a reflective distance. And secondly, anger is a bodily emotion. Therefore, sometimes we can get angry when our bodies are strained and overstretched. Mm. We need to prioritize the Sabbath, which is like practicing periods of stillness and rest. Um, and thirdly, we must be humble enough to focus more on God's justice and God's control than our own rights and abilities to secure them against all threats. Mm. So, so that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's very comprehensive. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. Now, I think the more I think about it, the more this question comes to mind, that as believers, how do we differentiate between the offense and the offender? Right? A sin and a sinner. Uh, injustice and the unjust person. I think that's been the big, big issue that, uh, because we look at the, life of Christ. The Son of Man came not to destroy men's life, but to save them, all right? And uh, we looked at examples where he really directed his anger as an issue and was able to do something productive with it. And all that you're saying, I mean, they really, uh, everything that you said really addresses that a lot. And um, in, in James, I think Jackson was mentioning, uh, talking about wrath. James said that, uh, be careful that, I mean, you should, you should, you should not, you should be quick to hear or listen, uh, slow to anger, and, and even slow to speak. For a man's wrath or a man's anger uh, does not lead to the righteousness of God. All right. And then the, the, the thing that, I mean, the quotation that uh, Cecily mentioned, that they would come out, be angry but do not sin. You know, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4, but he actually quoted Psalm 4. And in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says that, be angry and do not sin. And 
He said, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. In Ephesians, Paul adds something to it that be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give place to the devil. Is it like, with, it, with, it, with these two, I mean, scriptures, it helps us to understand uh, if we want to differentiate, we want to kind of distinguish between uh, the offense that has been done. I mean, directing our anger at the offense and making sure that we correct or remedy the situation and not destroy God's creation because I mean, everybody is created in the image of God. We understand that. So you, you should be careful when you are expressing your anger not to destroy God's creation. God did not create sin. So we understand he wants sin to be done away with. So that's what you, you want to do. So as Jackson has said uh, very well, meditation and reflection is very important. Uh, they be still. Meditate on your bed. And you don't want to give place to the devil because what, what you said, I mean, that natural thing happens. A man's wrath does not give, lead to the righteousness of God. So when you are angry, naturally things begin to pop up in your head. All right? So if you don't want to give place to the devil, then in your reflection, you are looking at the scriptural ways of responding to the situation so that you let God take control so that your anger or your indignation will be corrected. All right? So that's what I'm beginning to... So if you, want, you don't want to give place to the devil, then you do not go the natural way or maybe you say that the carnal way of just flaring up and then doing things and destroying things so that it helps you to address it. I think one, one person who, that, who did, it, did this very well and I really admire is MLK and Martin Luther King. I mean, I, I respect <laughs> anytime I, I, I read his story. I, I'm so um, overwhelmed. I, I'm so humbled by the way he was able to face opposition and address injustice with such composure, you know. And that is why I mean, he, was, he was able to address the issue and said, I'm not going to be violent with all the pressure that was coming on. I'm not going to be violent. But I'm still going to address the issue. And he stood to his ground. He was able to what? Um, stand and then, and then, and then uh, deal with the issues in his time. So I think these are some of the things that are coming to my, my, my mind that let us not give place to the devil. Uh, just don't, don't go the natural way. Just as a Christian, meditate, reflect, and then let God speak to you. And he will direct you and you'll be able to know how to address it. Uh, thanks a lot. I mean, these are great uh, thoughts that you've shared. I'm so grateful. Um, Jenny, now let's, let's look at verse 23. Uh, let, me, let me quickly look at it, read it uh, for the sake of those who are watching us. Verse 23, that's Matthew 5. It said that, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come to offer your gift. Um, so, what is Jesus um, trying to emphasize here, uh, Jenny? Yeah, I think I'm struck again as I read this by Jesus turning expectations on its head because you read the first part, or let's say we were listening to Jesus preaching this, and you're thinking about, okay, how can I not be angry towards my brother, towards someone who's wronged me? So then you, you would think the next part set would say something like, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has done something wrong to you, go seek them out and get them to apologize to you, right? And I think, <laughs> I think that's how maybe we would like for this passage to go. But Jesus turns, turns it on its head again and says, actually, think about when you come to the altar, some, the ways that you may have be in the wrong towards your brother. And I think specifically here, Jesus is thinking about um, the word brother, Adelphi in Greek, you know, your, the faith community specifically, um, and Paul in Ephesians that we've referenced several times, Ephesians chapter four, um, verse, uh, let's 26, mm -hmm. is also talking to a community of believers. Um, and so not that we don't need to be reconciled to people outside of the faith community, but I think specifically here, Jesus is pointing inward towards the religious community and saying, what does it look like to God if you come before God with an offering and yet you have done something wrong towards your brother? This offering is not going to be pleasing or acceptable to God because your heart is not right with God. Your heart is not right with your um, brother or sister in Christ. And so 
I read this and I think that, um, so you, it's talking about how you get all the way up to the altar and then you remember that your brother has something against you. Mm. And to me, that's an indication of that Holy, the Holy spirit prompting that you come before God at the altar and you have this choice. If you feel the Holy spirit prompting you to go and seek reconciliation and restitution with a fellow believer, you can ignore that prompting and give your offering outwardly, but inwardly, you know that it's not going to be acceptable before God, or you can do the thing that is honestly humiliating and leave your gift at the altar, Mm. go back, seek reconciliation with your brother or sister, and then come before God, Mm. knowing that your heart is right. Um, And that is so hard for us to do because at least the way that Jesus sets it up here, it looks like this person is potentially not just in front of an altar with themselves and God, but there may be other believers present. And so it's embarrassing to have to back away and say, you know what, I can't give this offering right now because I'm not right with my neighbor. Um, And that kind of humility, I think we are in a moment in our world and in our nation in the U S especially where we have been called to justice, um, by this present moment, especially in terms of racial reconciliation. And it is something that is not just about us and our neighbor, but it's also about the offerings that we present to God. If we know that we need to seek that kind of reconciliation, then that's something that we need to go say, Hey, like I have realized that I may have said things that hurt you in the past and I am so sorry. Do you forgive me? And then that's another, another piece of this, I think, is that forgiveness piece that we are so incredibly bad at, or at least I know I am, because not only of the humility, but because of our quickness to want to just dismiss things that have been wronged. We don't want to say to our neighbor, will you forgive me? Mm. We want to say, you know, I did this in the past, like, sorry, that was wrong. Mm. But you know, we're kind of like, sorry, it's fine. Like if they don't accept my apology, it's whatever. Like I, at least I apologized. I was the bigger person. Mm. Um, and, and at the heart of this narrative is no, like you actually need to go that extra mile and say, will you forgive me? Mm. And then as believers, when someone asks us that we need to be willing to say what you did was wrong, but yes, I forgive you. And we can move forward as, um, brothers and sisters in Christ instead of just saying what I think are the, in, at least in the U S what the cultural narrative um, usually is towards an apology, which is, Oh, it's okay. It's mm. to just dismiss it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that even in my own heart, I've had to work on because yeah. when someone apologi- ap- apologizes to me, if I say it's okay, don't worry about it. I know that I haven't worked toward a place in my heart where I can say, you know what, actually, you're right. That was hurtful toward me, but I, I am choosing actively to forgive you and to move past it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, Eric. Again, like um, I would say that, you know, people have really done some good justice. Um, Jenny did a great work, you know, just, you know, talking about some of these things. Um, I'll just add a little bit. Um, one of the things which stood out to me was when it said, if, thy brother has something against you which also means that maybe you injured or offended the person either truly or even by apprehension um you must it's almost like a command you must go and be reconciled to him before offering your gifts on the altar this also applies the other way if you are of on the like the party of the offended You should do well to forgive quickly, just like Jenny pointed out. Um, let us also note this. It may also be, I think Justin pointed to this or alluded to this, you know, in his submission. It may also be a good practice to do uh, a serious reflection or self-examination before mm-hmm. engaging in any worship activity. It's extremely important. Mm-hmm. And uh, which also brings to light the what I mentioned before concerning, you know, our heart posture you know what is in your heart becomes 
what eventually begins to affect what's around you or your reactions. Yeah. So it's extremely important that we look at it from that perspective. Yeah. And then we must also understand that our worship practices become unacceptable in a way when we do them in wrath or malice, right? We don't have a right heart to do that. In short, anger may be needed in addressing certain uh, practices of injustices towards our faith, by, uh, but simply doesn't help our cause when we indulge in some worship practices. Mm -hmm. So in other words, as much as, you know, we pointed to the fact that, you know, we can be angry and wanted to, to channel it towards the right, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, cause, it is important that we understand that it doesn't help towards our cause, especially when we begin to indulge in yeah. some worship practices. Yeah. Also, I think that love and charity is way more better than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Yeah. For God to go as far as waiting, you know, on us to reconcile with an offender or the offended before offering our gift says a lot. Mm -hmm. It means that God would rather go for a gift offered without any sentiment of guilt. Yeah. That's extremely important. Yeah. And then finally, I'll say the scripture didn't also say that take your gift with you. That is one thing which when I was looking at, I was like, that's quite interesting. <laughs> you know, rather uh, we hear that leave your gift before the altar. Let, let me continue this statement or let me add something to it by saying that so that you will not be tempted to not return and then later blame it on the situation. That okay. is extremely important. So uh, this also implies that a beef with your brother is not an excuse to neglect your Christian duties. Mm. Uh, reconciliation is no justification for piety. Mm. Um, these two entities are equally relevant to our faith work and thus should not be despised but approached with all sincerity. So we, we, you can't do one and leave the other. Okay. They have to be the, the two. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> These are great thoughts. Um, really learning a lot. Uh, God bless you all. A uh, great, great time there. And before I move to the next uh, one, uh, what I also have, I think I've had this personal, this experience, and it was really humbling. I think last week we talked about this idea of, of feeling the law. It makes it simple. Love for God, love for neighbor, right? So, and each of them, they are kind of, he weighs, he puts them on the same pedestal. The second is as the first, you know. And I remember I, when I was reading uh, Dr. Gala, one thing I, I, I saw was this idea that the way to God is through your neighbor. You know, Jesus uses a hyperbole, like he uses this kind of exaggeration. Because in the time, if somebody goes to Jerusalem and then the neighbor or the one who has offended is living somewhere in um, Samaria, wherever it is, uh, how does the person go and come back and continue the sacrifice? Like he's making you understand that relationship is more important than rituals. All right. And I had this, I mean, personal, I, I did not really ask permission from my wife, but I'll let, I'll let it come, come out. But I think it's a pretty interesting one. When I, I remember when we got married, I mean, before I, when I was single, like I was very religious and very punctual when it came to church meetings. And then I'll make sure I'm there at a set, exactly seven o'clock, first seat, you know, enjoying. And then when we go married, of course, we all know, I mean, Cecily, Jenny, you're a woman, you know how it goes. So um, I'll be waiting for her. And then sometimes maybe five, 10 minutes, we are late. And I'll be so angry. Like this woman, you're making me, you're making me late for church. You are being, an, you know, offense to me. You're being a stumbling block to my worship, you know? And I was, I was so angry. Most of the time I'll be fighting before we get to the car, we are fighting. And, one, and I'll, I'll go to church and I was still teaching. I, I was teaching at, at Sunday school and all that, you know. So one time I was so angry and God told me, I remember very well, is that if you were angry with your wife, you had no business going to church. Either you reconcile so that you go and you are late. I'll be happy when you are late and you, you go in peace than you go in, in, you know, in anger. And that was... <laughs> That was a flaw for me. That was, that was really over. I mean, uh, over. I mean, just convicted me, and that is when I began with prayer. You know, and really, I mean, just patience, asking God to help, and then it really helped, and, and, and it made me understand that the way to my God, the way to my relationship, the way to my rituals in in in, in church was actually through my wife. That's how I was going to please the Lord, and that is how I mean, God God dealt with me on that. So. It's, it's really uh, a humbling um, teaching that we're going through. And Jack, uh, let's look, look at the adversary. Uh, just 
make make peace with your adversary before uh, he takes you to the judge. That part, what does it have to do with all that we're talking about? Um, just mention it and we go to the last part where SSD will deal with it. Yeah. Oh, um, I think brilliant thoughts. Like I, I, um, um, I think what Jenny said and um, also what uh, Eric has just added really hits uh, it on the head that all that Jesus is, is pointing to is, is this aspect of reconciliation, that reconciliation should be the end goal, that it should be the telos, the, the very purpose of um, even our anger. Like we shouldn't bend bridges as um, Cecily said. But in Jesus's day, like there's this, there was this common practice that um, if someone owes another person, that person could uh, lock the person up in prison if uh, the person does not pay up on time. And so there were several debt, debt prisoners who relied on others to pay their ransom in Jesus's day. And so that's very phenomenon. If you look at that in those days, uh, well, Roman law was against that in many ways, but still the practice was going on. And apart from that, even the Jewish laws were against uh, holding people hostage for debt uh, because we all know about the Old Testament um, idea of the Jubilee um, and, and celebration and all that. That's, that's the time that you release people from their debt and all that sort of thing. So clearly there were, this practice was frowned on, but it was still prevalent, like nonetheless. And so what Jesus is here saying is the fact that we must be quick to reconcile. Like it is, it is the speed at which we reconcile shows the intent um, of our hearts, uh, even towards restoring the relationship. The relationship matters. And I think that's what you also said, Eben, that um, at the end of the day, we need to sometimes distinguish between the offense and the one offending. The person still bears the image of God. The person still, like you said, is our gateway. Uh, you cannot relate to God without your neighbor. So reconciliation does not become some something that you do when it's convenient, but it is very much integral to your act of worship. And if that is the case, then there will be that kind of speed towards reconciliation rather than retributive uh, justice. And so that's what he's saying here. I think he's mentioned, he's talking more about the agency. But what this passage, I would like to say that what this passage does not mean is that out-of-court settlement should be the go-to. Like, always, that's the first point of call. The reason why I'm saying that is that there, are many, there have been many and, or several injustices committed within the body of Christ. And I think recently we've heard about it, even the Catholic Church and also certain Protestant communities about child abuse, um, rape, and all that. Like people tend to, well, let's deal out with this in-house. Uh, th- that That's not what it is saying. I think people have used that this particular passage um, to perpetrate or to cover up for um, uh, the the sexual predators and all that. But that's not what this passage okay. is saying. I think this passage is much more concerned about the heart towards reconciliation and the agency that we give towards the work of reconciliation. Yeah. And so that's what I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. add to this. Yeah. Thanks a lot uh, for all these uh, comments. Uh, before I, I continue, I've got some comments here. Uh, I just want to read. Uh, um, says to Eric, important comment on leaving the offering at the temple. God bless you on that. And Brother Stephen Opoku said that, I think that there should be admission of the fact that something went wrong and there must be a confession uh, to bring healing and forgiveness in the process. And he also said, God bless you. Um, Ayako said, God bless you uh, for all these uh, comments. And it's, it's, it's really uh, teaching time for me and I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot. Thanks a lot uh, for all the other comments and insights you bring in here. Now, Let's, let's look at, um, Cecily, uh, let's look at the other part where it talks about, I mean, I mean the same thing. Let's look at the, the, the connection or the relationship with what is really happening in our world today. Any thoughts on how does this really speak to uh, the condition of the world? How, what should Christ follow us? 
pick from it? What 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 do you want to give out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like again, this is just such practical help for us. Um, and I I've started partnering with a ministry that. Uh, talks to people who are seekers of the faith in chat rooms. So I've had already about over a hundred conversations. And let me tell you, so many of those conversations are people saying, you know, God is so distant from me. They're very lonely. Like to, to not have a community and, and come to a chat room, I think for one to look for your community already speaks to the loneliness of so many people in the world. They say, God is so distant. No one is friends with me. No one's reaching out to me. And this last section that, that Jackson has been talking about, uh, to me really speaks of a, a practical nature of our, our own agency. Remaining upset about a situation that we're taking no proactive steps to change, that's not a good idea. So that's very different than what Jackson and, and Eric have talked about as far as being contemplative, stepping back from when I'm in anger, stepping back and, and contemplating with the help of the Holy Spirit, how do I heal from this and then go and reconcile with my neighbor? That's not this. Sometimes we just kind of wait around and let our anger build and stew. And I think that's part of what really perpetuates the violence of anger. That's why it then leads to acts of violence. Because I sit around, I am so upset and I am so burdened and I'm so hurt. But then I never tell this other person about it. I never tell my community about it. I probably don't even take it to the Lord. And so there's something about, yes, pray to God, most certainly, but also know that God works with us to participate with him. And so at some point, I think God says to us, hey, I've opened up the door for you to go. I've given you the tools to solve this problem. You've got to walk through it now. You've got to get up and, and take these proactive steps. And so I think that's really hopeful that Jesus is mindful of a very real human emotion that does involve our body. So sometimes I'm dehydrated and I'm tired and therefore I'm angry. Sometimes the answer is know yourself, <laughs> step back for a minute and know, Hey, take care of yourself so that you can be a good neighbor so that you can reconcile and not be angry. So in the condition of the world, when we are tired and when we are frustrated, first take that to God. Like if you're feeling God is distant, so I'll ask people this question. Okay. What, how is, how do you see God in the world? What have you been reading in God's word that's encouraging you? What if, what is your Christian community saying to you? And you know what they say on all points? Oh, well, I don't see God in the world. And I'm not reading my Bible. And I'm not involved in a Christian community. So, well, that's your problem. You know, so take the proactive steps to be with God, be with his community. And I think you'll find that this, this thing of dealing with my anger, that's how we do that. And that's where we go for our answers is, is to God in prayer, to God's word, to Christian community, um, so that we can figure out what to do with the mad that we feel. Because when we're alone and isolated, that anger turns into to violence in our heart and, and probably even through our actions. Yeah. 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 I wanted to just say something briefly that um, what uh, Cecily just said, um, the, the thing is that uh, part of my work is, is to be thinking about a theology of reconciliation like at the Duke Center for Reconciliation. One thing that I've realized is that many people in our world today uh, are tired of even the word reconciliation because of how it has been deployed without any kind of cost whatsoever at all. I think Jenny mentioned it's like we want to just sometimes to say, oh, I'm sorry, and then just move away without doing the hard work. Mm. And so many people are distrustful about this term. And I think it is up to us as the body of Christ to redeem the meaning of reconciliation, which is like paying the price, like going the extra mile, mm. going the doing the hard yards in order to really make sure that the relationship that has been severed, uh, maybe means re making restitution or whatever the cost might be, we need to be willing to pay it. But cheap reconciliation, the world will see through it and see it as a, as a fraud um, and as a counterfeit. So yeah. it's up to us to restore the idea. Yeah, thanks a lot. Eric, one minute. Do you have anything um, in the next 60 seconds? Actually seen about our world today is you know, people walking on this thin line of what I call a double-sided emotional response structure. Mm -hmm. So on one side, we have what I call the emotional make. 
which is simply, you know, our emotional tolerance. And then on the other side, I call that emotional break, which is the levels of our emotional intolerance. So in our world, you know, we are emotional people. So definitely you expect that we respond or react to the environment when we are hurt and when we do that. But when it comes to the church, it is important for us to con like consider certain few things, just like everybody talked about before. You cannot shun away from talking about some of these things. Because the thing is that um, if you keep some of these things in your heart, the product of it is destruction and wrath and mm -hmm. anger. So it is important that we continue to, as a church or even as, you know, Christians, examine the state of our hearts like we said before, because, you know, most of our actions are driven towards it. And it's also important that we must learn to forgive okay. those who wrong us in this world. It's extremely important. And we must also continually con uh, con like seek reconciliation in every capacity, even if we are Christians or even towards people who are not Christians. Sometimes people want to be like, okay, well, this thing is only something which has to do with the body of Christ and the church. There are other people outside there who are looking at our lives and then they are using it to judge whether they want to even come to the faith in one way or the other. And it's important that this kind of attitude of first of all, uh, realizing that it's important for us to follow up, you know, continue through this process would help to be able to give them a better perspective about what the church is doing in this world full of all kinds of injuries and the things we are going, you know, through today. Okay. God bless you for that. Um, for those who have joined us, God bless you for your comments. Next week, Friday, um, at 12 p.m., we'll continue our discussion. And as we end all the time, uh, we would end with our theme song. And uh, that, let us be our prayer. You know, that, that is going to be our prayer today. That um, we have learned, I mean, from the teachings of Christ, that what defiles a man is what proceeds out of the heart. And it's not really the food that the person eats. And Jesus also talks about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we understand that the heart is very important. And I keep on emphasizing that the disposition of your heart uh, impacts your capacity to flesh or embody the values of the kingdom. And that is what we are trying to drive home even with these studies. And my prayer is that even as you listen to this song, uh, just pray and then let Jesus make your heart his home. And my prayer is that as you, are, you do that, you'll be able to apply, you'll be able to prayerfully reflect on and also apply the teachings that we are um, giving out giving in, in this um, uh, series. God bless you, and uh, God willing, next week we'll meet again.